where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. This is Mary Mack of the Mary Mack Show, and we are doing a podcast series called Death by Fentanyl, and I have the extreme privilege of being with Jaime Puerta today. He lost his son, Daniel. Daniel was 16 and a half when he died in April 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And as a result of Daniel's death, he decided to create, to found, yes, a, yes, he is the president and founder of Victims of Illicit Drugs. That's correct. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm co-founder. Oh, Um, okay. I'm the co-founder of Victims of Illicit Drugs and, and the president, yes. My apologies. Not a problem. He has done some incredible advocacy work, and I wanted to visit with him so that he can share about Daniel, about his grieving process, and also about all the wonderful work he's doing now with his organization to help stop the flow, um, not only of the fentanyl itself, but mostly, and what I find the most important also, is the education of parents and children about this and that it's even happening and how effective, unfortunately, these pills have been in killing our children, young adults, and even some adults. This is nothing, (laughs) this is extremely dangerous. Fentanyl is something that you can take once, either in a pill form or laced in other drugs and you die. There's no coming back from this. As I usually say, when we're talking about this, there is no more experimentation of drugs anymore. There just isn't. The the days of experimentation are completely over. If you can take just a few granules, the tiniest of amounts in a pill or laced in a joint or with cocaine or other drugs, you're dead. There's nothing, there's just no way of coming back. And so Jaime, I'm so grateful that you're here with me today. And I'd love for you to tell us about Daniel. Uh, Thank you very much, Mary. First and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me to your program. 
I know it's been a little bit of a challenge for you, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm very happy to finally be on your program. And oh, I'm happy. I'm happy to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. It's it's been it's been a uh, a whirlwind and a roller coaster. So it's a little difficult at times, but. Uh, my name is Jaime Puerta. I'm the co-founder of Void Victims of Illicit Drugs. But more importantly, I am this young man's father who sits behind me uh, at my desk, whose name is Daniel Joseph Puerta Johnson. Uh, my son, Daniel, uh, passed away at Los Angeles Children's Hospital on April the 6th of 2020. Daniel uh, was a just, uh, I know it sounds kind of silly coming from a parent, but I, I have to say it. it he was a beautiful old soul, and he was the kind of kid who would look at uh, or watch commercials of the, I forgot what the organization's name is, of the uh, adopting of dogs and cats and things like that, and he would see the terrible state of a dog on television, and he would tear up, and he just thought that it was the worst thing that you could do to an animal. He was very sensitive, just like I am, probably more sensitive than me. He had... Uh, more friends that were girls than boys. Uh, they loved him not only because he was so dang handsome, but also <laughs> according to them, he gave the best uh, boyfriend advice in the world. So they would go to him for that. Interesting. He kind of, yeah, he was the kind of kid that would take his shirt off his back to help a less fortunate person. And um, he was a, a lover, not a fighter. Um, but he was a very complex kid. He was, you know, after, after he went uh, through puberty, something clicked in his head. He lost all, uh, um, interest for school. He, he just, you know, he used to be a straight A student. He would get A's and B's all the way up to fifth grade and then sixth grade, when he started going through uh, puberty, something changed in his mind and he just wasn't interested in school anymore. So he had to go to summer school in sixth grade and in seventh grade, and he had to go to summer school in eighth grade. And it was a very contentious time for us. It was very, very difficult. Um, he, uh, in ninth grade, he went to summer school at Canyon Country High School here in Santa Clarita, California. He was a big kid. He was about five foot 11, weighed about 210 pounds. And the high school football coach saw him and he said, you have to play high school football. <laughs> so he called up Saugus High School, the neighboring school, talked to uh, coach, uh, the coach there. Coach Bourne, I believe his name, and uh, told him about Daniel and invited him to play. And so Daniel went there and and he started playing football and he got interested in school again. He knew that he had to keep his grades up to play on the football team. So he was doing that. They weren't fantastic, but uh, at least they were out of the gutter. And uh, and he was doing great. He had a, so, a whole set of new friends. He was uh, loved playing football on on, you know, on Friday nights and, and he loved me being there cheering him on. <laughs> and, uh, I was probably the loudest voice <laughs> yelling and we had a great time, but once that was over, uh, once, uh, uh, once, uh, the football season was over, 
I noticed even a bigger change. Daniel started smoking marijuana at first, and then he quickly dwelled into a Xanax problem. So we started going to doctors, trying to figure out what was going on with him. And my son had been diagnosed with severe depression and ADHD. Then we figured that uh, the drugs were a, a way of self-medicating for him to try to get it out of his own head. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of depression in my family. Um, so I, I completely understood that, but there came a point in time that, you know, here in California, I couldn't put him in rehab because he could have checked himself out if he wanted to. Oh, wow. So, uh, exactly. Uh, sometimes here in California, children have more rights than the, than the parents do. And I won't go down that road because it'll get me into a political, uh, uh, our uh, conversation. I don't want to go down that road with your podcast. It's not worth it. But it was it was very it was very uh, frustrating to say the least of everything that uh, we were going through here. So we came to. I was at my last wits, and I didn't know what to do, and uh, decided to send them to uh, Kanab, Utah, uh, to a place called uh, Wingate Wilderness Therapy where uh, basically they taught the boys uh, self-preservation, actually. I mean, they took all social media away. There's no TVs. You're walking through Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah, which is absolutely beautiful. And he had to learn how to cook. He had to learn how to start a fire by rubbing the sticks together. He had to become self-sufficient. And according to the psychologists uh, that were with him, uh, they quickly told me that uh, Daniel was a, a born leader, uh, that he wow. was a, a jovial kid, and that he loved helping others uh, in, in his group. And basically, after two months and a week there, when I picked my son up, I picked up my, my I picked up the boy that uh, he had always wanted to be. I think he, we just, it was, it was night and day. It was just night and day and I got my kid back and I was just so, so, so happy to have him back. No drugs. He flourished. Absolutely flourished. Just absolutely flourished. He had dreams. He had dreams. Um, he, uh, he had objectives that he wanted to fulfill. He had fallen back in his high school work practically a year a year and three months. And when he got out of uh, the wilderness therapy, he said that he wanted to catch up and he sure did. He caught up very quick to his class. And one of his dreams was to be able to, to uh, graduate on stage with his class, with his friends. Wonderful. That, was, that was what he was working for towards. Uh, we pulled him out of the high school that he was attending because he said there were still a lot of drugs on campus and that kids were using drugs in the bathroom. They were vaping. He didn't want to go down that road again. So we pulled him out and we put him in a charter school in which uh, gave him the ability to catch up with his class. But then the pandemic hit. Uh, the pandemic hit on in Los Angeles County, where I live in Santa Clarita. On March the 15th, more or less, if, I'm, if it's not the specific day, we all locked ourselves in our homes. We had no yes, idea. That Sunday. Had, yeah, we had no idea what was going on. And the world stopped. 
and the world stopped for us. And unfortunately, uh, we feel that uh, that had a huge impact on his psychological well-being, you know, and he wasn't able to uh, hang out with his friends. He wasn't able to be with his girlfriend. He was locked away in his room six, seven, eight hours a day uh, doing schoolwork or or doing or playing um, on uh, with his video games. He got off of track of the medication that he was taking for his depression and his ADHD. He got off track, so he was not getting to sleep until three, four, five o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. not getting up until two or three o'clock in the afternoon. It's just, it was, it was uh, a, a psychological hell for my son, unfortunately. And uh, he reached out to somebody on a very popular social media app, uh, so, which Snapchat, he reached out to a drug dealer. He wanted to, uh, he reached out to buy what he, uh, an oxycodone pill, a 30 milligram oxycodone pill. I know this because of the information I got afterwards and because I found half the pill on his dresser. But he he asked me on March 31st if you could go out and walk our dog, Birdie, take her out for a walk, which I found kind of strange because I think, as you well know, Mary, getting getting teenagers to do things is, is a Herculean task. But uh, he went out and took Bertie for a walk. He was back 10 minutes later. He was happy. We had dinner together. He was jovial. We were laughing. And he said, all right, Dad, I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'll see, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Because he had gotten off track with his medication. I was coming into his room at 8 o'clock in the morning for the past week, week and a half. Uh, going into his room at 8 o'clock in the morning, waking him up and making sure that he took his medication because he had gotten so off track, I had to take him to a doctor and everything because it just got that bad. And when I walked into his bedroom uh, on April the 1st, I, I saw what no parent should ever see. And it was, my son was faced up and he had his arms crossed over his chest and his eyes were half open and his lips were blue and his fingernails were blue. And I knew immediately that something horrific had happened to my son. So uh, I called 911 uh, first, and then I called his uh, his mother who lived, who lives uh, five minutes from our home, because Daniel lived with me. And uh, uh, the paramedics first picked him up and they took him to uh, the local hospital here. And from there he was, uh, uh, taken to Los Angeles Children's Hospital, where uh, later that evening we had a meeting with the doctors and they basically told us that there was absolutely nothing they could do for our son. He was in a deep coma. The only part of his brain that was actually working was uh, the part that makes us breathe and even that needed help. And so uh, they said that uh, they would keep him as comfortable as possible and that when we were ready, uh, to make the decision to, uh, you know, stop all uh, life-saving or life support uh, to just let them know that there was no hurry and uh, to take our time. But more or less, you know, that, that, that first night after he told us that I came home and I told my wife and uh, my, 
my nieces were here, my one of my nephews was here, uh, and to accompany us, us during this very dark time, knowing that I was going to have to say goodbye to my son. And I went into his bedroom and I found half a pill on top of his dresser. I grabbed that pill and I put it in a little Ziploc bag. I made a bunch of photocopies of pictures that we had of Daniel here at the at our home. And when I returned to the hospital next morning, we put pictures of Daniel all over his hospital room and outside his door. And I took the half the pill and I gave it to the uh, his doctor and they said, Mr. Puerta, even if you give us that pill, there's, you know, there's, even if we know what's in that pill, there's nothing that's going to bring your son back. And so what they did is they handed over that pill to Los Angeles County Sheriff's, uh, the Santa Cruz office to a detective there. And they took that pill and, and did an analysis of it. Well, I stayed at the hospital with his mom, Denise. Uh, and then on April the 5th, she and I had a long conversation during the night. We both came to the conclusion that this was no life for our son. Not only that, but the doctors had told us that his liver started failing. Uh, his kidneys had started failing as well. And that, uh, you know, that it might be the time for us to have that conversation, which we did on April the 5th. On April the 6th, a team of doctors came in with the nurses at 3.45 in the afternoon, and they disconnected all the life support. Uh, Denise, his mom, uh, went got into bed with him and was stroking his beautiful hair, and I was holding his, his hand uh, when he took his last breath at 5.08 uh, that evening of April the 6th. My son passed away surrounded by the people who most loved him in his life, his mother and his father. I'm so sorry. Thank you. I had to come home and obviously tell my wife and my sister who was living here and, and the family and I think later that evening, I went onto Facebook and I told everybody that my son passed away. Everybody was incredulous. Nobody believed it. I didn't believe it. And it's it's just it, any parent who has lost a child knows that it's not normal. It's a shock to the senses. It's a shock to the brain. It's a shock to our bodies. It's 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 it's. It's nothing that can that can be explained to somebody who has not uh, suffered the same uh, uh, outcome or situation. No matter what the cause of death of a child may be, it's still the death of a child is a death of a child, and your life will for, is forever changed. And it it's there's like there's a before, and then there's an after. Exactly. Right. Yes, it absolutely. Before the person passed and life after the person passed, there's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. And and the sad part is it's not the natural course of events. Parents are supposed to go before their children. We are not supposed to bury our children. They are supposed to bury us, which by the way, because it was COVID-19, I wasn't allowed to have a ceremony. I wasn't allowed to bury my son. I was forced to cremate him. Oh my goodness. 
So actually it worked out better because I have his ashes here at our home. Uh, I have in in his bedroom, which I, I turned into a, a meditation slash uh, TV room slash honor room where all of the pictures of my son are in that in his room on these very nice bookcases and his ashes are there as well. Uh, I haven't been able to buy an urn yet because I just can't fathom the, the or I can't I don't have the courage to opening up that box and, and seeing my son's ashes. I just, you know, I, I just, I, I don't have, I don't have it in me to do that. I just can't. So you just let that, go. just let that be. Yeah. So I just let that go. So for the next two, three months, I was basically in bed, you know, I, a walking zombie per se. Yes. And Approximately maybe two weeks after my son's death, a detective from the Santa Cruz Los Angeles County Sheriff's Station came to my home. And before he had come, I went online looking for what was closest, what was the closest pill and resemblance that what my son had taken. And I came to the conclusion that what my son had taken was a blue M30 oxycodone pill. So when the sheriff came to my home and I asked him, what, what killed my son? And he said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Porta, but your son died due to an overdose. And I go, an overdose? And he goes, yes, sir, an overdose. And I go, well, tell me what pharmaceutical grade pill, when it's only half of it is consumed, is strong enough to take the life of a perfectly healthy physically healthy, right. 16, 16 and a half year old boy who's 5'11 and weighs 210 pounds. And he goes, oh, well, you're, you're you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Puerta, but uh, your son didn't consume an oxycodone pill. What he consumed was a, a, a pill made of fentanyl. And I go, well, then there's a big difference, sir. That's not an overdose because my son, what he was trying to take, he took half of what he thought was a blue M30 oxycodone pill and in reality, what it was, it was a fake pill, a counterfeit pill made to look like the pharmaceutical pill. Right. Made of made of an you know binder and fentanyl. And you're telling me that there was enough fentanyl in there to take the life of four adults. So it's a very different situation here. And due to the fact that he wasn't trying to take fentanyl, I demand an investigation. Excellent. And he goes, well, that's what I came here for. Man, I looked through his room. So they looked through his room. They didn't find anything. And that was that. And then I went online and, you know, and when I found out what was fentanyl, I came across article upon article upon article, news magazines, magazines, newspapers, TV shows, uh, sporadic it wasn't that it was more sporadic in 2020 than it is now because now you see it all over the place back back in 2020 when daniel died you just did not hear about it you had to actually dig in the newspaper you had to dig on the internet to find out what was going on and i found local parents whose children had suffered the same consequences the, one of the first persons that i found was 
uh, Matt Capilotto, who lost his uh, daughter, Alexandra. She was, I believe she was uh, either 20 or 22 years old. She was a, a full ride scholarship at Arizona State University. Uh, she was home for vacation in December of 2019. Uh, Alexandra uh, suffered from insomnia and, and had some, I, I believe there was some uh, some uh, psychological uh, type of, of things that were going on with her, which she also uh, reached out to a drug dealer on Snapchat and uh, bought, I believe it was a, a Percocet, I think, and what she thought was a Percocet and it turned out to be fake and it killed her. So I got first with Matt and then I found many other parents and uh, in October of 2020, uh, I had already doing some, well, one of the first things that we did as parents is that we started, uh, not me actually, our children started opening up doors. And I say our children because I don't, I'm not talented enough to meet with the people that I've met thus far, <laughs> per se. <laughs> I, I always say that. Uh, but, you know, our, our children in heaven, I know it sounds as weird as it is, but they started opening up doors. And one of the first meetings that we had was the Riverside County uh, Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Bianco. And uh, we met also with the uh, County Sheriff of San Bernardino. We went with San Diego County Sheriff. We uh -huh. met with Orange County Sheriff. And we also met with the Los Angeles County Sheriff. And, and, and what we did in those meetings was for law enforcement, when they see these cases, it was very easy for them or easy for them to just call them overdoses. And if it's an overdose, then no investigation is done. Right. Because the culpability lies in the hands of the person who had taken that drug and died. Mm -hmm. But what we- but these were in overdoses. Correct. But when we showed up and they gave us uh, these meetings, uh, they they were nice enough to, uh, you know, to give us this meeting. We went in there with eight by tens of our dead children explain to them who our children were in life. And in some cases there was substance use. And in other cases, there was first time users like Alexander Neville, uh, out of, who's 14 years old out of Elisa Viejo. Wow. Uh, Daniel, Daniel, who was had, had experimented and was self-medicating from time to time with it. Uh, Steve Filson's daughter, uh, Jessica Filson, uh, who was 28 or 29 years old, who, bought a gram of cocaine and uh, to celebrate uh, her boyfriend's uh, birthday and the fact that they had gotten their uh, finances together and had gotten an apartment together. And, and uh, Jessica had a, at that time, she was three years old, Alara, who now lives with uh, Steve and Cherie, uh, the grandparents of Alara. And, it, but it's, it touches upon, every facet of society that is being decimated by fentanyl. So you have uh, first time experimental users like Alexander Neville, who's 14 years old, who comes down the stairs on a Sunday night and tells his mom and dad, mom and dad, you know, I smoked weed before and things like that, but I tried, I started doing these pills a week ago and I'm afraid they have a hold on me. Can you please get me into a rehab? And then she said, yes, I will make long story short. She promised, he promised he wasn't going to do anything that night. Unfortunately, she couldn't get him into a rehab that evening. The next morning when she walked into Alex's room, she found him dead. Uh, Jessica Filson, uh, Steve Filson's daughter and Cherie, Cherie went to their apartment because she couldn't get a hold of them. 
They opened up the apartment and found both Jessica and her boyfriend. Both of them were dead. Um, my son, Daniel, who was, uh, who was self-medicating due to his uh, emotional uh, uh, state of mind, uh, you know, dead. So, you know, you have first-time users, you have people who are self-medicating, and you have recreational drug users who are dying in record numbers and everybody's sitting there scratching their head and saying, well, what the hell is going on here? And what's going on is that the drug supply, the illicit drug supply in the United States has now been taken over by illicit fentanyl disguised in counterfeit pills made to look like pharmaceutical pills. Uh, putting where cocaine has been tainted with fentanyl without the end users, either knowledge or agreement. Right. Yes, exactly. And, and where drug people who are addicted to heroin can no longer find heroin because now fentanyl is much cheaper and is a much bigger high. And so not only is it decimating people who are addicted to drugs, drug addicts, substance use abusers, however you want to call it, but it's also taking uh, first-time uh, users in their experimental phase. It is taking recreational drug users. And um, this is why we have the record number of drug deaths in the United States of America. And we're not doing nearly enough to abate these drug deaths in our society. And that's why we felt uh, one of our first meetings, uh, besides the sheriff's meetings, uh, uh, myself and 27 other parents got together with Michael Gray, who is a dear friend of ours who now lives in Florida. I haven't spoken to him in a while, but he had some contacts in the Trump administration and was able to get Jim Carroll, who was the director of the ONDCP, Office of National Drug Control Policy of the United States, the drug czar, under the Trump administration to go to Columbus, Ohio uh, at the end of October of 2020. He brought in the Archbishop of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he brought in um, members of the governor's team of uh, Governor DeWine from Ohio mm -hmm. and Haida and to speak with parents. And we were there to try to figure out what we could do to start changing the narrative in the United States as far as the senseless drug deaths. and. From that meeting, uh, many different organizations were born. And one of them was the Fentanyl Awareness Coalition, which I was president of for a short while. And I decided to leave that organization and co-found uh, Void, Victims of Illicit Drugs, at that time with Matt Capilotto, Steve Filson, uh, Amy Neville, and myself. And then later on, uh, we brought on uh, Bridget Noring from Minnesota. Uh, Chris Didier from uh, Sacramento, California, Rockland, California, and Perla Mendoza. Uh, Matt Didier, I'm sorry, Matt Capilotto and Perla Mendoza do not belong to our board anymore. So it's just now myself uh, as president, Amy as uh, vice president, Steve as treasury secretary, treasurer secretary, and both Bridget and Chris, executive board members. And all of us are committed to uh, doing our part to abate the senseless drug deaths in our nation by 
raising awareness and educating both parents and children of the inherent danger of any kind of drug use. And uh, how we do that is we were lucky enough, honored, uh, quite frankly, uh, with a, a young filmmaker by the name of Dominic Gierno, uh in in 2021, saw uh, Amy's story and, and read about Alexander Neville's uh, death due to fentanyl poisoning and uh, asked Amy if she knew three other parents that he was interested in doing a documentary on the fentanyl scourge. So myself, Matt, Amy, and Steve, we flew up to uh, Idaho, where Dominic lives. We stayed at an Airbnb in, uh, in Eagle, Idaho, a beautiful home on a golf course, and they filmed the documentary in two days. Wow, that's they, great. Yeah, they filmed it, and he filmed it in two days in June, and or was it May? May or June of 2021, and it was released in September of 2021. And now that documentary has been seen by millions. I mean, I mean, literally millions, uh, even though the YouTube says about approximately, I don't know what the latest count was. Last time I had seen it was 650,000 individual uh, views, but we use these in high school uh, auditoriums where 3,000, 2,000, 1,500 children are present. So we've presented this in both junior high schools and high schools. Uh, it's been shown in Alaska. It's been shown in Colorado, California, most definitely all over the place because most of us are Californians. Uh, school districts in whole, like the William S. Hart School District, the Simi Valley School District, Orange County School District. It's been shown in Texas, New York, uh, New Jersey. Many other organizations have asked our permission if they could use the documentary as well. And the beautiful thing about the documentary is that there are no copyrights to it. That's so, great. They can use the documentary and they could share it with their friends. They could share with it with their families. The school districts are using it as well. Many times school districts call us and ask us that they can have in-person presentations by either myself or Amy or, or Steve or Bridget or Chris. And we absolutely say yes, if time permitting, we will do that. And uh, we go everywhere, anywhere that we are needed, we go and we give these presentations and You'd be surprised at the amount of, of letters that, that we get, you know, from from people uh, who who have watched this. You know, I mean, I. Uh, here's one letter that says uh, this is from a student from uh, Golden Valley High School that says, Dear Jaime, I wanted to say. And by the way, I'm, I'm reading this letter to you, not as a pat myself in the back type of moment, but it's just to show the kind of impact. Get away from there. Sorry, my dog's gotten in here. <laughs> and they're trying to eat one my facing fentanyl button. So <laughs> the doc, uh, this, this letter right here. So what I was saying, it's not on the basis of ego or anything like that or patting myself on the back. But I just want to show you, Mary, that a lot of these children have absolutely no idea. Yes. That the drugs that are being consumed are are have been uh, laced with fentanyl or completely fentanyl. Water. Correct. So it says, Dear Jaime, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable to sharing and educating us on this important matter that's occurring around the world that targets our age even more. I admire how you are taking something bad and totally changing the narrative with doing good in the world 
And I'm so sure that your son is beyond proud of you and how you are choosing to spread who he was and what and what how he wanted to perhaps impact the world in a positive way. I learned that just a pinch of the drug can kill about five adults, which has me flabbergasted on how people are making these chemicals and poisoning. You showed a you showed me about being optimistic even in the hardest of times, and I truly admire that. Believe uh-huh. me when I say you opened my eyes more and made me more aware, including other students, but now it's our turn. Yep. To take control of our decisions with this knowledge that could save us from fatal disasters. I will continue to pass on this information to those who aren't as aware or who didn't get a chance to hear it from you. I wish you nothing but the best, but most importantly, be safe always. Your son is always with you, protecting you, and us now that you are fighting for justice and awareness. Aww. That's from that's from a high school student. Now, wow. I mean, I that's amazing. Been, so eloquent too, right? Oh, look I, at I all got, these. I got all these letters from kids around the nation who, I'm sorry about the noise. It's okay. My wife is trying to control my dogs. <laughs> What's so, your dog's name? Um, we actually have two puppies now because Birdie, Birdie uh, died, unfortunately, due to oh. cancer. That was Daniel's dog last May, in May oh. of 2022. So we now we have Pepper and Bruno. <laughs> this is Pepper. Hello, Pepper. How are you, darling? Oh, cutie. Bruno Bruno doesn't want to go on the camera. They're they're like Austin Terriers, and they're running up and down the stairs right now. So I apologize. It's fine. But anyway, so we know that when we receive letters like this, that we are actually impacting the least recognized segment of society that is being killed by this scourge and that is our children between the ages of 11 and 17 years of age you know they're a smaller percentage of the of of the total amount of deaths that we've had in this nation both i mean in 2020 we had 97,000 plus deaths due to drugs in the united states um 75 percent of those were due to fencing and poisonings in uh 2021 we had 107,611 drug deaths in the United States. 80,214 of those were due to fentanyl and fentanyl-related substances. So think about that. 80,214, that's like a 9-11 event every two and a half to three weeks. I mean, yep. you know, so. I was reading on the CDC and they someone said, uh, one of the leaders said, it's like, We've had 110,000 deaths just by fentanyl this year. And it's like having a 300 person plane crash every day. 2022 was 109,811, I believe. Oh, but, wow. Uh, drug deaths, I don't know what the percentage of, the, of those are fentanyl. There was like a 2.5% increase. Um, but um, they say it's leveled off, but even my own son doesn't show up as a fentanyl casualty. Really? My son's death certificate states major organ failure, uh, cardiac arrest, pulmonary arrest, p- 
possible drug toxicity. Possible. So, uh, possible, drug, possible, possible drug toxicity. So imagine if that's my son, how many more out there uh, that have not been accounted for? So we know that this problem is much, much worse than people really believe. And one of the reasons why things have only gotten worse is because, again, due to the stigma of addiction and overdose, most parents feel like this can never happen to their family. They feel like there's nobody in their family who's using drugs in a recreational level. Right. They have nobody who's addicted to drugs in their family. But they must under understand that children are going to be children, period. And there's going to come a point in time where their friends, you know, some of these children are going to succumb to peer pressure. Yes, exactly. Oh, we're at a party. Just, just try it. It's just we're a little at a party, something. Just It'll or, make you feel good. Exactly. Or the kid wants to become, be a part of the cool clique in school and to become yep. the cool clique, you got to do drugs. Or they're having stress because of finals, like, uh, like uh, Zachary Diddy or Chris Diddy, your son, this is a kid who is a, uh, perfect a student he was on the track team he was in the drama club he had uh he was accepted to five different uh uc like he was accepted to ucla for oh, wow so um you know and he was he was stressed out because of the tests and the and the applications for colleges so he reached out to a drug dealer who delivered a the fatal pill to him at the at the mall in rockland california and it killed him and there's a kid who had everything to live for, like all of them do. But that's just the thing is that if the child does not die, you know, because quite frankly, it's not that the cartels are trying to kill our children. And that's what most people don't understand. It's not that they're trying to kill them. What they're trying to do is they're trying to drive the addiction into them. The problem with that is that you know, whereas before you had people who could live with an active heroin addiction who would microdose on a daily basis, go to work, be a functioning human being, even yes. though they were at the heroin, microdosing with it and live with an addiction 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, no problem. Same thing with Coke. Same thing with Coke. Cocaine, you know, but now with, with fentanyl, they state, and I don't know what the numbers are because I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I don't have a PhD or a degree in this field, but they say that if you're lucky, you could live with a fentanyl addiction for two years. And now I think those numbers have even been cut down even more due to the fact they're now, uh, they're putting xylazine. Yes, the animal the tranquilizer. Blood, animal tranquilizer, that's the flesh-eating bacteria that, and you'll see pictures of addicts who's, limbs have actually been amputated and they still their addiction is so strong that they just can't stop and i understand that now i was i i'm a marine corps veteran and i've always been the type of person who you could strap yourself up at the bootstraps and just get on with life i've always been of that mentality that whatever you want to get done you can accomplish yes and i always looked at drug addiction as uh as something of choice that if really, if a drug addict really wanted to stop, they could stop. I was at a, um, um, I was invited uh, to a Project Opioid Summit. It's an organization uh, out of Florida, and they had these speakers there. And one of those doctors, oh, there was a doctor who gave a presentation, it was Dr. Dehilmi out of San Diego, who's a pain management doctor, but 
his practice now is medically assisted treatment. And he was giving us a PowerPoint presentation in which on, on one of the slides, he was showing us the brain of a person who was completely normal to the brain of a person who was addicted to drugs to the brain of a person who had been off of drugs for a year. And it was very, it was an eye-opening experience and education for me because that completely changed my whole way of thinking of it. And it's not that addicts are addicts because they want to. Addicts are addicts because they have to. In other words, they have to consume their drugs. They, Their, their brains are rewired to a, a, a way that they have to use the drugs. Otherwise, they'll lose their minds. They can just absolutely go crazy, which wow. is why medically assisted treatment is so important. And this doctor in his practice in San Diego actually gives a long lasting buprenorphine injection under the stomach uh, or under the epidermis and the skin, in other words, where it, it releases the, the medication. Hold on one minute. I need to stop these dogs. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself really quick. <laughs> Okay, my wife has finally got them in the room. <laughs> so, so you know, when I talked to him, I, I asked him, he goes, are you serious? He goes, look, even if they went cold turkey, going through cold turkey could actually kill some of these people. They need help. And the only way they can get that help is through medically assisted treatment that's treating them with long lasting 30 day buprenorphine injections with suboxate, with the suboxate type of uh, of medicine. And that is the only thing that is helping them stay clean. A rehab does not work. Going cold turkey for 30 days for many people doesn't work. You have to have that medically assisted treatment. Abstinence, I would love to, for people to be abstinent. That's another way of doing it, obviously. But you know, we have a problem here. And again, they're trying to drive the addiction into them. So if your child does not die, I can guarantee you that they're going to want to do it again until it takes their lives. And it's just the cost of business for these people. They don't. Yeah. The Sinaloa cartels and the, the new generation cartels, they don't care about the lives of the children who are dying. They just don't care. The, to them, it's a business model that's working. It's a business model that's made them billions of dollars and they're not going to stop. It's going to continue. And we in our society in the United States, I think that we are the country that most that is the most medicated society on the face of the earth. Oh, I completely agree with that. Whether it's prescription or not. Whether it's prescription or not, you turn on daytime TV and all you see is if it's not something for our uh, rheumatoid arthritis, if it's not something for erectile dysfunction, if it's not something for diabetes, if it's not something for uh, cancer, uh, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. So, we have normalized to a certain extent in our culture the taking of prescribed or not prescribed or prescribed medication or illicit drugs. We've normalized it to an, we've actually uh, legalized cannabis in the state of California and there are other states who have followed suit that have only created more problems where I don't think the tax dollars are really worth it for these uh, for the state governments because it's just creating a whole host of problems. But we've normalized pill taking to a, a to a sense that these kids think that 
they think that it's normal and it's very unfortunate that 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 is that because that's another reason why so many children are dying they just don't know they no. just don't know they don't and they've seen their parents popping pills too you know they might have seen um you know there was an injury and they needed to take a you know very high dose of some kind of painkiller and that's that's the way it goes you know that's how we deal with things you know there are people in our country that live with chronic pain and i understand you know because we've been attacked and you know you're talking about fentanyl but you know i'm not talking about medically prescribed fentanyl here i'm talking about illicit fentanyl that is made south of the border and that's now made in the united states you know you can go on to amazon and buy the pill, the pill press you can buy the dyes i mean oh my god i didn't know that oh yeah uh there was another organization who was writing letters to amazon who was trying to stop them from doing that i think one of the reasons why they continued selling it was saying they they were telling them or one of the excuses was it was that uh, their customers like to press their own vitamins. I have never, ever <laughs> anybody. <laughs> I've my, never heard of that. I've never heard of anybody pressing. Uh, who would go through the trouble of pressing their own vitamins? I don't know. So I don't know. But it's a very complex problem. And I feel that we're not going to arrest our way out of this. We need to let the DEA, Homeland Security, CIA, FBI go after the major players. Um, and as parents, you know, go, we need to continue what we're doing. And that is raising awareness and educating the, the masses and educating kids and parents alike, especially parents and letting them know that you don't necessarily have to have a recreational drug user in your family or somebody who's addicted to drugs for that, for this to take your child like it took mine. Had my son decided to self-medicate back in 2008, for example, if he was the same age at the time, he would be alive today, but he's not, he's dead. Like so many others have. So. Thank you, Jaime. Thank you. Such an amazing. This has gone to such epic proportions that you can stand in the middle of the street of anywhere in the United States, unless you're in a cornfield in Iowa, you can stand in the middle of the street of suburbia, throw a rock in any direction, and you will actually hit somebody who's either been directly or indirectly affected or has known of somebody who has passed away due to fentanyl. And it's still happening. So that's how bad the problem is right now. Wow. I am grateful that you're standing in the gap. This is my therapy. This is, uh, this is, if I'm not doing anything, that's when I become the most depressed. You know, I totally agree. I can, I can, I can attest to that. It's what makes you keep going is to do good and to um, educate. It's awareness, it's education, it's the sense of knowing that all our work is for the greater good. All our work is to make sure that there's a lot less children who will ever be introduced to this. 
Exactly. I mean, reading that letter alone, it, it gets me emotional because I know that we are all making a difference in this in this fight. And, you know, and we've made great strides. We are a nationally recognized <laughs> foundation. We have given uh, presentations not only, and I can say it now, but there was a big operation for Homeland Security investigators called Operation Lotus. We gave a presentation to them before Operation Lotus was launched. We are very proud of that. We have given presentations along with uh, with the DEA, who call on us all the time to help them uh, give uh, our presentations. Uh, here in California, for example, we have partnered with the Los Angeles Police Department, going to the most underdeveloped neighborhoods in Los Angeles County, where there's a huge Mexican mafia uh, uh, presence and 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 you know, poverty is, is pretty bad. And we go in there and give presentations. Um, you know, school districts have called upon us all across this nation to give our presentations. And we do so. We're, we're very lucky that, you know, before we were, we were basically self-funded. Uh, I spent a hell of a lot of my own money in 2021 and part of 2022. But now we get private donations that have helped us, you know, uh, uh, pay for our plane tickets and and you know we don't we don't pay ourselves salaries we don't we don't we're not like that mm -hmm. uh, but we take care of our our out-of-pocket expenses to go out and do these presentations i'm very privileged well not privileged i would say i worked my butt off to get my company to where it's at where um i don't have to be present as much it's it's it almost runs itself uh, but I can only do that because of my beautiful wife, Claudia, who who helps me. She's she's the backbone. She, in fact, uh, if it weren't for her, I don't know, I would have made it. I mean, she she has been my rock. She has been my my angel. She has been my saving grace, along with my faith in God. So but, I'm very I'm very glad you mentioned her. Oh, I love her. I, she, my, and anybody who meets her, I, I, the first thing to say is, how in the hell did you land that? <laughs> how did you pull that one and, and I still don't know how I did it. I was very lucky. I think God knew that what was going to happen, though, and he needed to put a beautiful, she's not only beautiful on the outside, she's just she's just a stunner, but what makes her even more beautiful is her her heart. Yes, and her, her soul. And yep. her soul that literally have kept me on this earth because, you know, I mean, when my son went, I wanted to go to, I didn't know. I didn't know how I was going to be able because I had, you know, I, I was a single father, you know, even though he had his mom and everything, but he lived with me. And of course he lived with her as well. And she's decimated too. And she's going through her own living hell as well. Luckily we are very good friends. And uh, my immediate family now consists of my wife, uh, uh, my sister, Sandra and, and Denise, his biological mom, that's basically it. And all my family in Colombia, South America, but you know, it's, it's been really, really hard, but you know, again, the advocacy has been my personal therapy. Um, and I also, uh, uh, go to a men's group online, uh, other bereaved uh, fathers who have lost their children, either due to them being murdered 
or suicide or car accidents, motorcycle accidents, freak accidents, uh, you know, all, you know, they're sudden, all sudden death, sudden death. And, and, and even some of, yeah, most of them are sudden death. There are some whose children went through uh, periods of cancer and it didn't survive, but we all have one thing in common. And, and that's that we all lost a child and there's a, there's an unspoken bond there uh, or an unseen bond that brings parents who have lost their children. Uh, there's a, a, there's a bond with that parent that is inexplicable. It's, it's something that cannot be explained, but being with the group of men who have also suffered the same fate uh, because men grieve differently than women. Oh yes. Do they? And it's not easy to find a group like that. So I'm so glad that you did. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm very, yeah, very blessed. That's another thing that Daniel brought me to. I mean, I found him by accident. So yeah, but it, it helps when I'm not doing anything like these summer months were very quiet, but we're trying to gear up for the school season. We have lots of schools already talking to us. We're talking to Texas. We're talking to, uh, uh, just many different school districts that I've, I, I don't want to jinx it, but <laughs> But we are gearing up to doing more wonderful things. We're doing what we can. We're doing what we can. Outstanding. Outstanding. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for all the people who are behind you and work with you on, you know, your organization. I'll put all the links in the show notes and you'll have to give me the link to the documentary as well. I definitely want to put that there. It's on the very first page of our, of our website. It's okay, a, great. I'll stop. glad I'll grab that. I want yep. people to know about that. It's in it Spanish was, as well. Oh, phenomenal. Okay, great. So I'll put I've both very, in. <laughs> yeah, I've been very, very, very active uh this past year and a half in the Hispanic community. And I first have to thank Dr. Beatriz uh, Villarreal from San Diego, who is the president and founder of the Mano Amano Foundation. And I also have to uh, thank uh, Ms. Zuli Roman, who is the president and CEO of Expediente Rojo, who does a lot of work with the Los Angeles Police Department. They have opened the doors to their uh, followers, and we have just done amazing things in the Hispanic community, especially, you know, the Hispanic community. We are very, we, we don't like to talk about spousal abuse. We don't like to talk about drug addiction. We don't like to talk about alcoholism. We don't like to, like to talk about, these are all things that are swept under the rug in our, in our culture, in our, in our culture. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Even my own father has a, a difficult time speaking to me or my own family in Colombia has a difficult time speaking to me of, of their, of their cousin and, and everything like that. They've, They've come around quite a lot because of all the education that I've done and everything like that. But it's very, you know, it's it's like most. It's like, okay, if somebody dies due to drugs, they go, oh, well, that person must have been a drug addict. Or that exactly. Person. Or they blame the victim. Yeah, or blame the victim. But Same thing with murder, right? Yeah. Blame the victim. Blame the victim. But exactly, it's like people don't understand is that first and foremost, again, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, you know, it, this is affecting every corner of our society. It does not discriminate discriminate against race. 
It doesn't discriminate against culture. It doesn't discriminate your religion. It doesn't discriminate skin color. It doesn't discriminate uh, economic uh, where you are in the econ on the ladder uh, in the economic uh, you know yeah ladder. It it takes it's taking everybody. So people need to understand that. They need to learn that. I would tell your audience, Mary, to if they can go to stopthevoid.org when they have a chance. Watch the documentary called Dead on Arrival. Watch it with your teens and share it with as many people as possible that you can. And we would be there. Are, like I said before, there are no copyrights to it. If a parent wants to use it, who has lost their child and wants to use the documentary, please do so. Just don't watermark it with your own foundation, making it look like you produced it. And we'll be fine with it. Uh, everything else goes. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Jaime. I'm so grateful for all your wisdom that you've shared today. And my sorrow goes out to you for Daniel's death. And, and yet look at what has come of it, unfortunately. Something well, good, something good has come out of all this pain. Well, only good can come from this because I mean, what else? can happen to a person who's lost a child you Not know much. <laughs> there's nothing worse than losing a child nothing there's absolutely nothing worse than losing a child so uh, it's only been strength not my own strength even being a marine corps veteran i still break down i still cry two or three times a week if not more i still miss my son um i miss him horribly um, I miss him so much that I actually feel physical pain, mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's a physical pain, but I know that he and all the other children who have succumbed to this poison are the ones who are the ones who are propping us up and helping us put one foot in front of the other and, and trying to get this work done. And luckily we have, because now look at, look at the difference between Fentanyl awareness, what it is today to the, what it was back in 2020. There's Big a, difference. There's a, not a day that goes by, you know, that 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 somebody is not talking about fentanyl either in Congress or in, in the Senate or in your local communities. I mean, we have, I think we are the very first organization in the nation that's actually partnered with a county to come up with a fentanyl initiative awareness campaign. The San Bernardino County partnered with Void Victims of Illicit Drugs to come up with a massive fentanyl initiative where they have uh, these PSAs on TikTok, on Meta, on Snapchat, I believe, which I don't know, not Snapchat, because we didn't want them to do it there. But they have it inside the theaters before the movie starts. We have 15 billboards, fentanyl awareness around all San Bernardino County. The tagline is fentanyl doesn't care, but we do. Oh, wow. That's great. Fentanyl doesn't care that you're going to school, but we do. Fentanyl doesn't care that you're a single parent, that, but we do. Fentanyl doesn't care, you know, that you're, uh, that you're, you're a football star, but we do. Fentanyl does, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's really great. Yeah, so if you go to San Bernardino County's Department of Behavioral Health and look at the uh, Fentanyl Initiative, you'll see our 
our logo on there with them. We're doing PSAs. We're doing podcasts as well. Um, well, we have the billboards. We have the uh, the small p the short PSAs in the movie theaters, and uh, we have that's very uh, ingenious. I think that's excellent. Yeah, and you know, it is. so many of the young people go. Yes, and so we're trying to replicate that in uh, other counties that'll listen to us. We're in conversations with other counties. We'll see how far we got, but at least we were able to get one county, a government entity, to partner with a a foundation made up of bereaved parents, partner together, come together with ideas of what we could do for the whole community, all in the name of saving lives and making sure that San Bernardino County's residents understand the inherent danger of any kind of drug use whatsoever. Yes. And, and that's what it is now. It's any kind of drug. Exactly. So we're going to, we're going to uh, also start with in school presentations. Um, um, we have a, uh, I, I, there's a lot of things that I, I, I'd rather not say right now, but there That's are fine. so many initiatives happening right now that we are, we're just, I feel like for, and we still have our full-time jobs, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I, I, know. I know. I mean, if I could find a way of, of, of being able, if I could find like a, uh, a, a huge type of donation where I could take a, a, a sabbatical away from my, my, my personal business, I would dedicate myself 120%, 24 hours a day to, uh, to our cause. But, you know, I ha still have to put food on the table. I still have a mortgage that I need to pay. So I can't dedicate myself full-time to it. I wish I could, that would be my dream. Um, but uh, all I can do and all we can do and all the other parents can do is just keep trying and keep doing what we're doing. You know, we're very, very proud of the fact that we San Bernardino County uh, partnered with us. That's one of been what's been one of our greatest achievements so far. And we have lots more achievements that a uh, lot, many more objectives that we need to hit. But we're very happy where we're at to it, where we're at today. But at the same time, we're not happy with the numbers which means that still a lot more needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. Thank you, Jaime. Thank you, Mary. It's phenomenal everything that you've accomplished in such a short period of time. It's really been a lot. I mean, uh, I, you know, again, all ego aside, we have accomplished so, so much in the education, awareness and prevention side that we are truly proud of what we've done. But at the same time, when we see those numbers come out from the CDC, it's like a gut punch and yeah. saying, where are we failing? Where are we failing? But where we can't look at it that way. We have to keep thinking about all that we have accomplished and we'll yes, continue to accomplish. Because if we keep looking at the numbers and we see how they're going up instead of down, <laughs> it really it is. Like you said, it's a gut punch. You feel like, what exactly am I doing this for? But Oh, no, but that's not going to stop me. Exactly. That's because That's even though those things go through our mind, it goes away pretty quick because we do realize how how much, you know, we have accomplished. Exactly. So very true, Mary. Thank you again, Jaime. I hope one day I get to I hope one day I get to meet you in person. Uh, are you in New York? 
I'm in Florida. You're in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this year, maybe next year, there's a, our documentary is, uh, we're in conversation right now with Dade, Miami school district. Oh, good. So there's some good things happening there as well with another group called Fentanyl Fathers, which mm -hmm. is the first, it's the very first foundation. You should, you should, uh, I'll reach out to them. You reach out to Gregory Swan. Yeah. Okay. They're called Fentanyl Fathers. And there's there's like five or six fathers from around the country who've gotten together. Uh, because I, I don't know why, but there's more women in advocacy than men. There's not that many men in, in this space. <laughs> yes. So we're like the outlier. But this group, I, I became, uh, I not only serve on their board, but I also serve on the the Alliance to Counter Crime Online as an advisory board member. Uh, uh, also with uh, To End the Stigma out of Fairfax, Virginia with Jill Chikowitz, a wonderful woman. I love her. She's doing wonderful work in Virginia as well. So I'm on there more as an advisor and trying to give them ideas of what they can do. So they'll come to me and, Jaime, what do you think about this? Or, Jaime, what do you think about that? How and nice. Help, I'll help out wherever I can. Yeah. Exactly. And mm -hmm. our big fight, big fight as well is against uh, social media uh, apps like Snapchat. We're at war with them. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we were able to achieve was, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of CADCA. CADCA is a very large organization made up of, uh, they're the ones who certify the, uh, the drug uh, coalitions across the nation. And they were going to bestow the Humanitarian of the Year Award onto Snapchat until Amy Neville and Sam Chapman and myself and many other parents got involved in uh, with a petition from change.org and uh, Sam and Amy were a, and uh, Mark Berkman who is the CEO of the, the partnership for safe uh, internet or something like that or social media uh, they were all able to talk to the CEO of Catechal who is a general Barry Price and they've actually rescinded their award very and, good and taking them off as their uh, uh staunch supporters so snapchat is trying to buy their way into these organizations and they don't know that they have to contend with bereaved parents that sees the, through their smoke snapchat and all of their supporters you know i have absolutely no respect for them so yeah it's hard there's a, a bbc just came out with the news uh report out of England and and this reporter uh, opened up her own profile on Snapchat and she goes through the step-by-step -step of how she got sucked into uh, not sucked in but through her investigation that drug dealers are showing their wares they're showing her their drugs that they're selling uh, everything it's and you know and Snapchat keeps saying the same thing that we don't allow drug dealing on our app and that we're doing everything possible to not allow drug dealers on here and 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 at the same time trying to coerce like organizations like Katka and others like they're doing like they're the best you know social media company out there when they're not doing anything quite frankly mm -hmm. I mean they're not doing anything and, I'd like and, to I'd like to see her expose because that would really open a lot of people's minds too. I put it on my, if you look on my, on my personal Facebook page, I don't know if you ever seen it, Mary. No, not yet. It, I'll, I'll send you, it's Jaime Ignacio Puerta. I know it's, it's, I will send you my link. <laughs> okay. On Facebook and, and 
because I put everything there and I also tag Void, so it, it goes there. So victims of illicit drugs, you'll see the newspaper article, the news article there from the BBC on her investigation on what she found against Snapchat. And you'll see everything. You'll see how Katika uh, rescinded uh, uh, Snapchat's humanitarian of the year award. It's so interesting to me that, like, you know, they would even consider something like that without even really doing an investigation on what do they do, you know? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but they, um, you know, we were very uh, fortunate that General Price is a very intelligent, smart man who had the wherewithal to listen to the these parents of why they should not be awarded with this award and he listened he took some days to think about it he came back he says, you guys are absolutely right we're going to rescind the award but don't say anything until this date and then just this past monday was the first time that we were able to talk about it so wow yeah Excellent. okay well thank you again for everything i look forward at some point to meeting you and i bless you so much for everything you've done for others Thank you, Mary, and thank you for your invitation. Sorry, I wasn't playing hard to get. It's just that <laughs> I was very busy. <laughs> so, but I appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you're doing. I know that you're reaching thousands with your podcast, if not more, hundreds of thousands. Um, and this is all in an effort together to abate these drug deaths and really uh, educate uh, your public your audience, uh, and, and hopefully they will listen to this podcast with great intent and understand so. what's happening. And, and hopefully if you ever need me in the future, you know, I'd be more than to help you out. And I'll send you the information for the fentanyl fathers. You want to talk to them and, uh, yeah. And anything I can do to help and also to end the stigma, you want, you would definitely want to interview Jill as well. Now I, I'd like Jaime to tell us about this, Prevention Day. It's the August 21st, National Fentanyl Prevention and Awareness Day. And he's very excited about it because he's going to present. And I didn't want to finish up the podcast without us talking about this. Thank so you so ahead. much for giving me the opportunity. To just, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's a lot of a lot of um, things going on at the same time. My dear, dear friend, Andrea Thomas from uh, Voices for Awareness out of Grand Junction, Colorado, came to me uh, last year in approximately in February of last year and said that she wanted to do a National Fentanyl Prevention Awareness Day. And we are off and running with boots. And what happens is, is that many coalitions or many uh, nonprofits made up of bereaved parents from around the country on August the 21st will have their own events, whether it's going to the Capitol and speaking to the Senator or their legislators, whether it's a 5K run, whether it's going to the local park and handing out naloxone, whether it's a car race, we have actually a, a, a drift car that's going to be racing with the facing fentanyl logo all over it. Um, whether it's giving uh, in, in uh, presentations, for example, Myself and uh, Void, victims of illicit drugs, are going to New York uh, to meet with uh, uh, the mayor, uh, Eric Adams, and the police there. And they're also were, uh, will be presenting to Homeland Security investigators up in New York as well. So many different activities are coming around. Not only has it been backed by the DEA, 
but Homeland Security is also going to back that day. The CDC has also backed that day, recognized that day as the National Fentanyl Prevention Awareness Day, as well as many states, many state legislatures, and many cities. Uh, for example, this year, the, last year, there were many cities in California and that I know of, and this year, the city of Santa Clarita, where I live, is also proclaiming it as August 21st as the National Fentanyl Prevention and Awareness Day. If people want to find out more about it and you want to become involved, uh, please go to facingfentanylnow.org, facingfentanylnow.org. It's a wonderful website. It's full of PSAs, videos. It has a memorial wall, which is a little sad, but it shows all of the people or who have died due to fentanyl poisoning or addiction uh, in the states across the United States. It has a memorial wall. It has a supporter tab if you want to become a supporter or your organization also wants to become a supporter of August the 21st, you can become a supporter. It doesn't cost any money. It's absolutely free and uh, help us uh, spread the day. So it's a day where many hundreds of organizations from across the United States get together, do their own awareness initiative for that day. Again, whether it's a 5K run, a motorcycle poker run, uh, you know, uh, presentations, whatever the case may be. And it's all in the, and in, in, because we just want to spread awareness. We want to bring awareness to our communities. We want to educate the public and, uh, and that's it. So please go to facingfentanylnow.org and you'll also need to, uh, uh, Mary, I need to put you in contact with Andrea Thomas so you can interview her as well. Sounds great. Thank, Thank you, you very much. And we'll see you again on the next episode. We're grateful for Jaime being here today. And please remember to subscribe, like, comment. Let us know uh, if this has affected you. And we appreciate you. Bye now. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, good evening. Bye-bye.